Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to this morning's service. It hardly seems possible that it was a year since last I was with you on that first lockdown Sunday. I'll never forget that day. First time I'd ever preached to an empty church. And here we are, a year on, still doing virtual church. But it's a pleasure to be with you in that sense this morning. Today we're turning to Joshua chapter 20 under the title, Other Refuge Have I None. So let's read Joshua 20 together. If you have your Bible with you, please open it there and we'll begin at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When he flees to one of those cities, he is to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbour unintentionally and without malice aforethought. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the desert on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any alien or foreigner living among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray briefly together before we unpack these verses. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we turn to your word that you will show us more of yourself of how you deal with in this taxonomy the need for safety and security are second only to the physiological need for food and drink that we all have in order to stay alive in the first place so there is something deeply ingrained into our human makeup that makes us deeply unsettled and anxious if we don't feel safe the fear that something bad might happen to us is a powerful driver to help us behave in ways that avoid danger and harm. That's really been the story of the last 12 months, hasn't it? Now, of course, after a year of pandemic, the last thing you probably want to hear this morning is another talking head like Jason telling you how to stay safe. And yet, this passage in Joshua is really all about safety. How can vulnerable people who are fearful of bad things happening find a safe place? And who are these people? 
and what bad things might happen to them and why might those bad things happen to them and what on earth does all of that have to do with us? Well, in order to answer these questions, we need to place this chapter in the context of the rest of Joshua and then in the context of the rest of the Bible. It would be fair to say, I think, that most of the Old Testament recounts dark days for Israel. And in that darkness, the story of Joshua is largely encouraging. The people have generally obeyed and the Lord has given them the land that he promised through many powerful victories. Chapter 19, where we left off last week, has finished with the ancient people of God dividing up the land that God had promised to give them back to give to Abram back in uh, Genesis chapter 12. And that section runs through to the end of 21, uh, where we are told that the good promises that the Lord had made came to pass. And chapter 21 leaves us in no doubt that the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to their forefathers. And crucially, in verse 45 of that chapter, you'll read these words. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Then four key words. Every one was fulfilled. Every one was fulfilled. Think about that for a moment. Those words are telling us that every single promise God made to Abram has been fulfilled, including all the promises about land, all the promises about inheritance, and all the promises about nation-state. There is no further promise from God that has not been fulfilled in relation to the land of Israel. Now, that may be a controversial statement for you, and it may cause you to think about your theology of Israel. But what I want you to do, if that is you this morning, is to have a think about how your theology of Israel, the nation, and the nation state today, etc., articulates with that sense, 45. God owes national Israel nothing. But now that they're in the land, we need to think about how the judicial system within Israel worked and how safe the people in the land were. And the first thing we want to think about in relation to God's justice system is that God's justice is just. Because the Bible talks a lot about safety. And it talks about safety in light of judgment. God is passionate about the safety of his people. Indeed, the greatest and final purpose God has is to be with his people in his place, living safely and securely under his rule. That's the picture, of course, that we're given in Revelation 21, isn't it, of the New Jerusalem. It's a city built like a fortress with walls surrounding it, 60 metres thick. <coughs> now, of course, we're not intended to take that as being literal 60 metre thick walls. The idea is that our eternal home is impregnable, do you see? It's absolutely safe. So every provision God makes for his people's safety and security in the Old Testament stories are an echo or a foreshadowing of that ultimate safe place. And here, in Joshua 20, 
Another example of God's provision of safety and security for his people is presented to us, the cities of refuge. But to understand their true significance and importance, we need to understand why they were needed at all. After all, as we've said already, aren't the people now safe from their natural enemies? Well, yes, to a degree. But how safe were they from each other if something bad happened between citizens themselves? You may be familiar with the concept of sanctuary in Victor Hugo's novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. In that novel, Quasimodo, the hero figure, is a social outcast. He's badly treated by his community, by his society. He's bullied, he's ridiculed, he's abused, and he needs to find a safe place. And he finds sanctuary, if you've ever seen any of the movies depicting this story, of which probably the Disney version is the one that's most popular, if anyone would admit to having seen it, you'll find that Quasimodo needed to find sanctuary and he found sanctuary in Notre Dame Cathedral. It was his safe place. (coughs) Sanctuary is central to the story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And it's central to our story too in our own nation, isn't it? Over the last 10 years, we've seen the whole issue of asylum seekers and people seeking sanctuary and seeking safety, fleeing from a place of trouble and fear and anxiety and terror, looking for a safe place. And closer to home, still in our own lives, we're aware that we need a place of safety. And it's right that we feel that because we stand guilty under God's judgment. We may claim that we don't mean half of the things that we do that break God's law, but we're guilty however we want to dress it up. And as guilty people, we deserve nothing but judgment. So sanctuary and safety for the outcast were originally God's idea. The roots of that sanctuary are deep within the law of Moses, so deep in fact that they're repeated three times over in the whole in the Old Testament in the in the first five books of the of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. There in Ezekiel twenty one twenty three, and in Numbers thirty five, uh, there's a bigger section there, uh, verses six to fourteen, where we find out more about the cities of refuge, and then in Deuteronomy nineteen, there's a repeat of that Numbers passage telling us about the roads that are to be built in the cities of ref- to the city of refuge, etc. But now that they're in the promised land, Joshua 20 unpacks for us how God's provision of sanctuary and safety plays out in practice. Come with me for a moment to imagine a society without police, without courts, without a judicial system. In Old Testament times, if a man was killed, his relatives had the right to take revenge. Loss of life was considered very serious. This relative who sought retaliation was called the avenger of blood. What a great phrase that is, like something out of a Marvel movie. In a time when there was no police forces, this meant that no one took murder lightly. But because of the emotions involved with the loss of a family member, this system often resulted in brutal retaliation and injustice, even if the death was caused by accident. 
the avenger of blood in his anger and pain at the death of a loved one might not care whether the killing was intentional or unintentional at all wouldn't differentiate between murder and manslaughter he's so consumed with retribution and vengeance so to protect those innocent of murder but guilty of manslaughter God establishes safe places six of them cities of refuge there to maintain justice but to ensure that that justice was proportionate now it's interesting isn't it that our laws in the west here regarding murder and manslaughter are based on this old testament ethic because although the old testament teaches capital punishment for intentional or premeditated murder it doesn't prescribe the death sentence for accidental death or manslaughter. Imagine you're driving along Ochengramant Road this morning and a person walked right out in front of you and you hit them and killed them. It's an, it's an accidental killing, not a murder. It might be manslaughter if you were negligent in some way, but it's not murder, however you look at it. And the law treats that separate from murder, just as it does here. So back here in these days, maybe not the car in Ock and Gramont Road, but two men chopping down trees, one man's axe head flies off the handle, strikes his partner and kills him. It's an accidental death. The person who committed the accidental death shouldn't be executed. Why? Because it was unintentional. It wasn't malice aforethought. The Hebrew word for unintentional there in verse 5 literally means he did not know. Someone without a murderer's heart, you see, shouldn't be condemned to a murderer's death. Under God's justice programme, if an accidental death took place, the person responsible could flee to one of these cities of refuge and find sanctuary and be protected from the avenger of blood until his case was heard. The elders of the city would have the trial and if the individual was guilty of murder, he'd be executed. But if it was an accidental death, the man was able to live in that city safe from the avenger of blood until the high priest at that time died. Now, what does this teach us about God? It teaches us that God, our God, is not a malicious, vengeful judge. He takes motive and intent into account. His judgment, you see, is proportionate. This is massively helpful for us to grasp. God is not some capricious individual who loses his rag when something goes wrong and flies off the handle and acts irresponsibly and disproportionately over the slightest thing. This system of justice is recorded for us in a very complicated way actually to show us that God's justice is proportionate to show the world that the true God isn't some bloodthirsty God of the nations but that he weaves our web of time with mercy as well as judgment and he always gets the balance right So God's justice is just and it's also acceptable. We know even from our own experience that accessing help 
when we are in trouble isn't always easy. Our health and social care services are constantly looking for ways to improve accessibility. And one of the biggest challenges if you have a relative or uh, an elderly person trying to access care can be knowing where to start and how to get into the system. Well, God was concerned about that too. These cities of refuge, they weren't the biggest cities. They were strategically selected. Israel's about the size of Wales. No one was very far from one of these cities of refuge. In verse 7 and 8, we find they were in central places on both sides of the River Jordan. They were easy to reach for anyone within the country. And the end result of all of that was that no tribe was too far from a place of safety. On the west of Jordan, you had Kedish in the north, Shechem in the middle, and Hebron down south. On the east side of the Jordan, you had, uh, where Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh lived, you had Golan up in the north there in the Golan Heights, you had Ramoth in the central section, and Bezer down south, all of them easily accessible. So is God's justice. The unintentional killer was safe here until his case could be decided. But these cities weren't just strategic. They were structured. They involved structural engineering. We know from the Deuteronomy passage that God expressly commanded roads to be built to improve their accessibility and to make them easy to get to. And from Jewish literature not in the Bible, we know some further other things about these highways. They were to be carefully repaired every spring after the rains and bad weather of winter and bridges had to be built where needed so that people didn't have to get down into a valley and back up the other side if they were trying to escape. They could go straight across the bridge, the shortest possible route to the city. At every crossroad on the road to these cities were special signs which said in huge letters, refuge, pointing to the direction of the city itself. And these signposts had to be large enough that a man running could read them as he ran without having to stop. So here's a whole structural engineering programme put in place <coughs> just to make God's justice available. So can you picture this man running down the road? He's being pursued by others. They're armed. They're after him. They're going to kill him. The fugitive approaches the crossroads, sees the sign, the big road, uh, the big word refuge pointing in the right direction. He runs to the city and gets into the city and is safe. He runs to the city for safety. Now, there's language we see elsewhere in the Bible, isn't it? In Proverbs 18.10, we have that famous verse that says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. So there's that idea of running into the city for safety. So God's justice is accessible, but it's also values based. The city of refuge reminds us that life matters, all life matters. Now there's a phrase. Human life is sacred. God places a high premium on human life. Human beings are created in God's own image. And so the shedding of human blood and the taking of human life is viewed very seriously by God. Because in that sense, it is the ultimate insult and the ultimate offence against his image. In ancient Israel, capital punishment was practised for murder. Murderers couldn't avoid justice. 
And it was intended, capital punishment was, to demonstrate how sanctified human life is, how sacred it is. Murder, on the other hand, treats life cheaply. And so the death penalty existed to deter people from taking human life and carrying out that most awful of offences. Those of us who believe that human beings are God's image bearers ought to interact with society in a particular way. The fact that we view human life as sacred should affect every aspect of our life, shouldn't it? How we relate to others, how we treat others, how we speak to others, how we conduct our business, how we treat our neighbour, even how we drive our cars down Ockingramman Road. Human life is very precious. The question for us this morning is, do we value human life the way God does? Because this passage teaches us that all human lives matter, not just to us, but ultimately to God. The dead man's life mattered, and so did the life of the person who killed them. Next, we want to notice how God's justice is satisfied. Because although the city of refuge became a place of safety, at the same time it actually became a place of isolation and exile for the, for the fugitive. The killer enjoyed protection, but notice he wasn't exactly free. Even if the case is decided in his favour, he can't return to normal life. There, at verse 6, we find out that he can only go back to the town uh, that he fled from when the high priest dies. He must stay in the city of refuge. He can't leave the city boundaries. If he does, he's fair game for the victim's family. And if the killer leaves the city and is killed by the avenger, the avenger won't be guilty. Numbers tells us that, chapter 35. So in effect, the fugitive is living in lockdown, isn't he? He has to live in lockdown. He's not free to go anywhere. He can't go outside the city. He's stuck there. How can that lockdown be lifted? Well, verse 6 tells us it can only be lifted through the death of the high priest. If the high priest were to die, his death would be counted as having paid the penalty for the accidental killer. His freedom isn't restored, you see, until the high priest dies. Now, you don't have to think too hard to make those connections to our Christian faith. All of this looks forward to Jesus, our great high priest, who accomplished freedom for his people by sacrificing himself. Through the sacrifice of himself, he gained freedom for his people, Hebrews 9.26 tells us. So God in his grace sends Jesus to take our sins upon himself on the cross paying the price so that sinners like us might live through him and experience that freedom on account of his death. 
Finally, I want you to notice with me that God's justice is universal. We notice that in verse 9. These cities of refuge were open to all, to the Israelite and to the alien, it says in my Bible, foreigner it may say in yours. And from non-biblical sources we know that the doors of these great cities were always left open and never locked, so that a fugitive running for his life might not die while trying to get in banging the door. And each city of refuge, we also know, was stocked with food. It was self-sufficient. It didn't only provide legal protection. It met all your needs when you were inside. So this takes us to the title of our sermon. Other refuge have I none. We don't need any other refuge. And there is nothing that we need when we find this refuge. So not only is there no other place for the killer to be safe. But there's no need to look anywhere else for safety. Some old hymns pick this theme up, such as the one from which the title of this sermon comes. Jesus, lover of my soul. The second verse of that hymn says this. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenceless head with the shadow of thy wing. And here's another one. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? You who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. Now, as a young boy growing up in Sunday school, we always used to have a bit of a laugh at that uh, little couplet there, you who unto Jesus, as though we were saying hello and waving to him. But that wasn't the thought in the hymn, was it? The thought in the hymn was that Jesus is our refuge. He's our safe place. He's the place we run to and we're saved. And we see in these cities of refuge a picture of our own salvation in Jesus, the one to whom we have fled for refuge, the writer to Hebrews tells us in verse 18 of chapter 6. So as guilty people, the avenger of blood is after us. God's justice is chasing us down. But there is a place where we can run. And when we run to this place and when we enter it, we are saved. And it's the name of the Lord, which is that strong tower we read from Proverbs. And that salvation is universal. These cities of refuge were a constant reminder in ancient Israel that God was a just and fair and righteous judge who provided a place of safety for everyone who needed protection. These cities are a signpost to us too as people under threat of judgment, pointing us to Jesus as the ultimate safe place, our city of refuge. Now, over the last year, we've become very concerned about personal safety, haven't we? We've done all sorts of things to protect ourselves. We've socially distanced, we've worked from home, we've preached from home, we've worn masks, And now we're getting our vaccines and we naturally want to protect ourselves. But let me ask you this question as we finish. What measures have you put in place to stay safe from God's judgment?
doing good stuff, living morally, giving generously, being a faithful church member, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, being baptised. None of these things will ultimately make us safe. All of them will still leave us facing God's justice. There's only one place of safety. Jesus Christ is our refuge. And I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus your safe space? <clears throat> that takes us back to where we began, doesn't it? In the last two chapters of the Bible, we're shown a picture of our eternal home. It's the safest place you can imagine. It's safety and security forever. I want to ask you if that's the place where you belong this morning. If not, run to the Lord Jesus. Run now and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've learned from your word about the kind of God you are. We thank you that your justice overflows with mercy. And we thank you that you are always proportionate in your justice. And we can trust you with the judgments of our lives and the lives of people we know and people we love. We know that you will do exactly what is right and you will be measured and appropriate in all your actions as judge. So we pray that you will help us this morning to see that not only are you the judge, but you have provided a safe place for us. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we ask that as we think about him as our refuge, that we may run to him this morning and experience your salvation and your security. Because we ask it in his name.